0: Hi everyone, it's me, Reshma Sajani, the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code. Welcome to Brave Not Perfect. On this podcast, I talk with up-and-coming makers from all around the world, but with a little twist. Every episode is going to highlight ideas from my new book, Brave Not Perfect, Fear Less, Fail More, and Live Bolder. Get ready to break free from the cult of perfection. Today, I'm talking with Britt Morin, the founder and CEO of Britt & Co. Brit & Co. is a digital media lifestyle brand, and it reaches over 175 million people every month. Wow. Britt wants to get women inspired and educated on how to do almost anything. Ultimately, it's Britt dream that all women find their passion and figure out how to pursue it, and she wants to be there to help them along the way. You run a hugely successful company. Tell me about your path and like what you do.
1: So, I was born and raised in Texas and I always go back to my childhood when I talk about my company because I think it's really important to know that I was born in the mid-80s. I grew up in the era where there wasn't an internet and I had two parents who worked and so often I was left at home figuring out things to do. <laughs> and that meant that I was creating and imagining and you know, I desperately wanted to be an inventor. Um, When I wasn't doing that, I was absorbing television, as I think most people in the 90s were.
0: Oh, I I definitely was. I was a latchkey kid, too.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, I was a Girl Scout and I did all that stuff. And and truly, you know, I, I was in love with creativity. And then by the time I became a teenager, the Internet became a thing. I was you know, downloading songs illegally on Napster and <laughs> starting GeoCities websites and buying books on Amazon and, and really fell in love with technology. And I wanted to get to Silicon Valley as quickly as possible. So I started taking computer science courses. I learned to code in high school. I then graduated in college and about two years early and just decided to land myself in the Bay Area by age twenty. Um, so I ended up at Apple. Then I moved to Google. I was you know, a loving tech, but I was always working on the content side of it. So I was working in iTunes at Apple and I worked on YouTube and Google TV at Google. And what I realized was that I love storytelling and I love this kind of intersection of digital media um, because it's technology, but it's also content. And what I also realized was how to searches were number one on Google and YouTube every year, but they were so boring. It was like how to change a tire and how to change a light bulb. And women my age wanted to learn like how to make scrambled eggs. A smoky yeah, eye. Yeah, and a smoky <laughs> eye. And like we didn't learn that stuff growing up because our parents weren't at home and they weren't teaching us home at classes uh, as young girls. Um, we missed it.
0: So I want to go back to some you, you said when you were young, creativity meant a lot to you. So how did it show up when you were at home, when your parents were working and you're sitting there in front of the television or what were you doing to like inspire that creative person yourself?
1: Well, I didn't have much money cause I didn't have a job obviously. So I was finding things all over my house and turning them into other things. I remember when I was 14, I was a soccer player and, you know, we would all get Capri Suns after the game and I took everyone's Capri Sun that was empty and I decided that it was a really nice material for making a beach bag out of.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. I I would not have even thought about that.
1: It's uh, waterproof. And and so I sewed them all together and I made a bag and it became like my tote bag slash beach bag. Uh, And so I was doing stuff like that for Christmas. uh, You know, I, I would get all my friends gifts, but I would make them. I made pillowcases with their names embroidered on them or I made like little towels with velcro you know I was also into hacks so I hate how with towels when you get out of the shower you have to like tuck it in and it always falls down yeah so I made like velcro towels that stick together when you wrap it around you and, and your name That's is awesome. embroidered in it. and you know so I I love doing that stuff and my friends came to expect it of me you know every holiday or every birthday
0: so now you're at Apple, you're seeing how to videos that are not that interesting, are you connecting the dots from the little girl that was making, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, not at Apple. It wasn't until Google and even like years into Google when I was thinking about, you know, Google search queries and and then YouTube ultimately. And it really was YouTube and my pursuit of launching Google TV on behalf of, you know, the company where I saw what was happening with media and this notion that you know, all of the traditional media companies, you know, like the television networks and the magazines were just not embracing digital. And the people who were embracing digital were you know, teenagers on YouTube and, and putting up video content every day and being real humans and just like expressing who they were. And everyone else was overthinking it and making, you know, 30 minute or hour long shows or movies. And there was a big gap in between. And that's kind of the gap I wanted to fill, but with a real human voice and brand.
0: Was there like an aha moment, something you saw, a moment, a day that like you were like, oh, I need to go do this?
1: So I left Google. I left when I was 25. And you remember that I, you know, I got out to Silicon Valley when I was 20. So that was five years (laughs) under my belt.
0: And, You're like, I'm a seasoned yeah. Silicon valley now.
1: I had had the, the how-to thing in my head. I had the like, oh, media is transforming in my head. But I didn't really know what that was. I didn't know what company it was. And I did something pretty like unorthodox, which is I used the money I had saved up from my time working for five years. I had 12 months of like livable dollars in my bank account. And I decided I would give myself six months off to just like figure out what do I like to do when I'm not working. Cause I always love the saying, you know, you should make your passion, your business. But also like then I had six months where if I had an idea for a company, I had six months to bootstrap it before I, I knew if it was either gonna last or if I needed to raise money because it was crushing it. And so in that that first six months was so transformative of for my life. Like I I mean, the first two months I was traveling, so that was really fun. I, you know, as a twenty-something-year-old to so be able to do that, and then the next two like month, I was like crying every day because I felt like I had no value for the world. Because I like would wake up and like watch Real Housewives, and then like go to yoga class at noon, and and everyone else <laughs> was doing nothing. And, and I'm such a like perfectionist, overachiever type that like I had never experienced just sitting. And being still my whole life, and I, right. I hated it. Um, I totally know what you mean. So,
0: I can relate. So,
1: but then it all—I I joined this place called Tech Shop, which was like this members-only place in San Francisco with all the tools anyone could ever need to make stuff, and it was like modern tools, like. 3D printers and laser cutting machines, but also traditional tools like wood saws and sewing machines. And again, like that was my childhood passion, but I had really like fallen off the wagon with knowing how to use any of that, you know, as an adult. And so I just took a few classes. I learned how to use everything in there. And then I was in there morning till night, just making stuff. And I would put it all on my blog or I would pen stuff on Pinterest, which was a new platform. No one was even like on Pinterest yet. And like women kept following me and they kept telling me, like, how are you doing this? Like, I'm amazed. How did you make that? What?
0: What were some of the first things that you made or that really like women were like, oh my God, I love that.
1: Oh my gosh. I was making earrings, home decor. I was getting married also during this like 12 month hiatus. I was, you know, making all of my wedding decorations. I then had my wedding and literally every woman that was there was just like, shaking me, telling me, Brit, whatever this thing is needs to be like your business. And I don't know how you make money from it, but like this is it because we all want to do this thing that you're doing and we have no idea how. And I was like, huh. And then someone said to me, it's like you're the Martha Stewart for the millennial generation. And there is something about that that stuck with me. Not that I believe I'm like Martha Stewart, but like she was a catalyst for women and to learn how to make and do things. And she inspired a whole generation, you know, of you know, women who were trying to entertain their guests and to make a home more beautiful and you know, all of those things. But more than that, her business model was pretty compelling. I mean, she was a human brand who leveraged right. herself on television and books and magazines, but then also had a commerce business. I and mean, she was like a two billion dollar brand at one point. And that was, you know, 20 years ago. So to me, it all came together at that moment. That was the light bulb. It was like, oh my gosh, this is the future of, of brands, our human brands, like social media and YouTube and everything else is telling us that. How to fits right into this. My passions fit right into this. And then I was like, oh crap, I have to be part of this. Like I have to be a public figure. Like I had never done that in my life. And so that was pretty scary embracing it. So what do you do next? Yeah. So what I did, I mean, I started just making content and building a website and it was just me in my dining room. And, you know, most startups start in a garage, but I was in a dining room and it was just really cool because I took a chance on myself and I had no idea if it would work. And it was even more scary because it was literally my face and name. And so it was weird, like hiring people to work at my company when I'm like,
0: My name. you're like, I'm going to work where? At Brit & Co.? Did you feel like imposter syndrome or did you feel like, wow, like, you know, because I always say like, we're afraid to brag about ourselves. Like if you win an award, you're not like, hey. And I think so much of what I try to do with teaching bravery is about getting women to basically toot their horn a friend of mine was telling a story about how like at a you know middle school award ceremony like when boys win awards they like dab themselves right and girls are like oh, me like you know with like fond shock you know shock was it hard for you to like make you the face oh my
1: gosh it was the hardest part of the whole thing and and not just because of the personal vulnerability that I felt inside and plus the fact that I was terrible on camera and like had never done that before. So if you want, really want to go into like the depths of YouTube, you can find some of my first videos and compare them to like now when I'm like on Good Morning America every week um, in front of 5 million people live. It's a world of difference. But but more than that, I, I literally got online bullied. I mean, there were – luckily they're gone now, but there were websites that would follow everything I tweeted or did or posted about every day and just make fun of it, make fun of me, very publicly to a very big audience. And I mean, I would just sob at home and wonder, like, did I do something wrong? Like, So what, what made you keep going? I knew that my intention was nothing but like doing good for the world and for this audience of women. And largely the people making fun of me were adult men. So I knew they weren't my target audience. I knew like the mainstream public audience I wanted to reach had no idea these websites existed. And I had to like find that voice inside of me that just kept trying. And more than that, like was authentic because I can like throw down in a board meeting and like in a financial model and like talk about spreadsheets all day long and raise venture capital. But I can also like be totally silly and like I'm driving a Ford pickup truck right now that has like reindeer ears and a red nose on it and like Christmas lights inside. And I think that's awesome. And and so like, I think there's this expectation that you have to fit in a box of like the serious business person or the like lifestyle talent that's silly and fun. And like, I wanted to prove that you can be both.
0: Yeah. And just be authentically you. So you said you're a perfectionist. Have you gotten better?
1: <laughs> I want to believe I ha- I'm i aware that I'm a perfectionist. So I guess in that regard, yes. I mean, I don't know what it is, if it's like instilled in me genetically, but I did do the StrengthsFinder thing and like competition and achievement and- perfection. And they're like all my top three. Um, (laughs) Yesterday we had a white, we had like a gifting exchange at Britain Co. And I was like, my gift is the best. Like I was like, definitely. It got traded the most times, like I won. (laughs) So um, it's weird. I need to like calm myself down about it sometimes. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think it drives a lot of what I do. And I'm very aware of it now. Like yesterday I was laughing about it, how I like wanted to win the gift exchange. But like I know that I'm not going to succeed every time. And so because of that, I always strive to compete and achieve and perfect, but I'm okay if I don't.
0: And I'm conscious of it. So failure doesn't break you in the same way you thought it might. What have you failed at though? Like, what do you consider to be like, oof?
1: I mean, well, like I was saying, you can go back and look at those first videos. Like I was not, (laughs) there are a lot of things I'm not good at when I start that I learned quickly how to get better at. I mean, and- This business, it's been seven years now. I have failed at like a million things. I mean, we have tried so many types of things that didn't work. Like we had a subscription service at one point and we put products in retail stores at one point and we had really big advertising partnerships with different types of clients that didn't work. And like, you know, a lot of stuff hasn't worked. A lot of stuff has. And so I think the reality of being a good entrepreneur is just knowing that you have to try a lot of things. And the key to succeeding is to double down on the things that do work and to move quickly past the things that don't. But if you don't try a lot of things, you won't even get to that point. You have kids, right? Yeah, I have two boys. Two boys. What are you teaching them? Well, first of all, I'm teaching them kindness. My husband and I actually have an annual retreat with ourselves. <laughs> we're both entrepreneurs, <laughs> so we're dorky, <laughs> where we set, <laughs> we set objectives for our family. <laughs> Is that
0: so nerdy. I, no, I love it. I feel like Nahal and I are going to steal that. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, we do it for our family, our relationship, and ourselves. And then we like literally grade ourselves on like if we accomplish the thing we set out to do last time. And at one point, you know, when we were just having kids like a year or two ago, we were like, we should create family values. Like we have business values. Why can't we have family values? And so like kindness was by far the top of the charts of our family values because at the end of the day, if my kids grow up and, like, they don't make a lot of money and they don't have, like, successful marriages and they whatever, but they're kind people, like, I will have felt like I have succeeded. Then there's curiosity because and I just genuinely think curiosity is a trait everyone should have because there's just so much more to learn about everything and, like, having an open mind about people and culture and industries uh, is is a key point to like living life. Like there's so much life to live if you just keep exploring it. And creativity for obvious reasons was, was like the third one. So, you know, I think those are really three of our values that we hope our kids are instilled with as we
0: raise them. What do you feel like you could teach aspiring female entrepreneurs in terms of like taking risks and failing and, bra- and being brave? Is there like a practice or something that you do that has continued to make you take those risks and, you know, try things when you when they fail and then just get up and do it again?
1: Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing I see, and you probably see this too, is just that like most women are
0: risk averse to even starting. You know, they have to have... Yeah, I would say they, you, we, we quit before we even try.
1: Yeah, like they, the business model isn't done yet and what if like I can't raise venture capital then it means this like or like am I really good at this? I've never managed people before and like they question themselves. There's self-doubt. There's will it work? Whereas, you know, I now have seen hundreds of male entrepreneurs put like crazy plans in front of venture capitalists or seed investors and they're just like full of confidence, it's all going to work like on day one, you know, and it's like, and they just started, they just went for it. And to some extent, I, I knew in my heart that I wanted to do this. I knew I could make it work, but I didn't place the bet on myself. And I, there was one night I remember distinctly where a good girlfriend came over and my husband was in the room and they had to like literally talk to me for three hours about why, how to just start, how to just build the website make enough content that it feels like it's a real thing like and launch it and make a you know put out a PR headline that like we are launching this thing even if it's just you and acting the part faking it till you make it i think women think that's wrong to fake it till you make it but in reality like
0: that's what entrepreneurship is all about yeah like all the time our girls are like wait wait you know did we teach 90,000 or 89,950 it's like Men don't think that way. And I think this idea... like a be like 100,000. Yeah, <laughs> they just be like 90, 9 million, 9 million. Like, let me add some zeros to it. I feel like we're, we're afraid of getting caught. It, men just aren't. And my son, I feel like, isn't, you know, is so... Even so, from such a young age, I see him and culture really pushing him in that direction. And I think you're right. I think so much, like for me, when I started Girls With Code, I just bought the URL. Like, I think it's so much about just starting because then we're afraid to fail or we're afraid to quit. Like starting for us actually leads down a path of who knows what. We won't turn back once we've made a decision. Can you think of a moment in your life where you feel like you decided to be brave, not perfect? Was it Was it in that your apartment with your husband and your best friend where they just sat there with you?
1: Oh boy. Yeah, I would say launching that company, that moment in my apartment where I was unsure what that would look like if the content would be good enough. I didn't have professional cameras, you know, to launch my website with. I was literally using an iPhone. I'm not a trained photographer. I'm not a trained writer. Like I didn't none of it looked good. But I knew I just needed to start and I needed to put it out there. And if the world liked it. I would probably get a little bit of momentum. And with that little bit of momentum, maybe I could hire one employee. And with one employee, maybe we could have a little bit more momentum and we could hire two employees. And it was just like that green light to start was the brave, not perfect moment.
0: Amazing. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Brave, Not Perfect. Want to make bravery a part of your everyday routine? You can buy my newest book, Brave, Not Perfect. Fear less, fail more, and live bolder. It's on shelves now and available at your favorite local or online retailer. I can't wait to hear what you think. Till next time, this has been another episode of Brave Not Perfect with me, Rush Sajani. Brave Not Perfect is produced by Tanya Zaporanek and Emily Scheinbar
1: and edited by Jenny Josephson with music composed by Poddington Bear licensed under a Creative Commons license.